Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for the precious blood? And even though not one of us in this building deserve to stand in the presence of the Almighty, His love reached down to where we are and allows us to still have breath, allows us to still be in His presence. Even though our sin from our past, our nature that we were born with should have kept us out of the presence of God for our entire life. Just one man's blood washed it all away. And now when that blood's applied, when Jesus looks at us, all he can see is the blood. And it allows me again into his presence. And I can feel his glory, though I don't deserve it. And even though I continue to fall short of the glory of God, I continue to mess up and I continue not to deserve to feel his hand again. The blood covers and washes my sin away. I don't know about you, but when I get to thinking about the cross and the price that our God paid for us, I can't help but lift my hands and just tell him thank you. I can't help but just give him praise because he's that good of a God. He loved me so much that he came down and wrapped himself in flesh and would die for me and allow me into his presence. What a God we serve. Oh, what a precious gift we have to stand covered in the blood of Jesus, be able to feel the presence. I'm so thankful. Sunday school, you're dismissed. Discipleship will stay in here today. Are you thankful for the house of God? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I get to come and feel his presence get direction from his word see all of my friends and the people I love I'm thankful for the house of God it's not just another building but the abiding place of the glory of God of course pastor is still uh, in Los Angeles um, they asked him to stay uh, for Sunday uh, today and to preach um, this morning and then he'll he I think he's teaching again this afternoon um, hopefully if all goes well, let's pray that with all the havoc that's going on in the, the airlines, that pastor's able to make it home tomorrow afternoon um, and that there's no delays. He don't have to stay in any layovers and, and sleep in an airport. Because, Lord, we know you don't want pastor doing that. I wouldn't want to do that. Um, but I have had good reports. I haven't got all the details from Friday of their uh, crusade, but I've had good reports. They had good church, and God helped Los Angeles. Uh, so that's a victory. For the kingdom. Amen. Uh, so let's continue to be in prayer. I believe God's going to touch them today. They're two hours behind us, so he'll be taking the pulpit in a couple of hours. But let's pray and believe. In fact, let's pray now that, that God would, would touch Pastor and the angels of the Lord would go there. And there would be a blessing in Los Angeles. Jesus, by the authority of your name, I plead for your blood to cover the man of God. Cover his family. Cover that church. By the authority of the name of Jesus, I bind every spirit of hell that would rise up against the word of God, the moving of the spirit, the authority of your word, every spirit of Jezebel and unbelief, every spirit of the Antichrist, I bind it by the authority of the name of Jesus. I speak liberty in Jesus' name, and the peace of God would flow there, that that manna from heaven would reach the hearts of those people, that that city would be blessed, and, and those new converts and those babes in the spirit that were born, God, I pray that the word of God would be invested in them, and there would be 
strength and direction that they would be rooted and grounded in truth and in faith today. In Jesus' name, we claim a victory for Los Angeles today. In the name of Jesus, we believe you for it, God. We believe you for it, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, you can actually be seated. I want to speak tonight, this morning, on enduring affliction. Uh, to endure affliction. And we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, verse uh, number 8. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. Uh, this was John writing the book of Revelation. He's on the, the Isle of Patmos uh, by himself, and uh, he's writing the revelation of Jesus Christ that God was given him. And he's writing these little notes God had told him, uh, write to the seven churches um, and to the angels of those churches, which was the pastor of those churches. Um, write to them. Uh, and so he's, he's writing these little notes to each of the churches, and we're reading the one um, to Smyrna, uh, verse 8, and then verse 9. Uh, it says that I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And, and you know, I can imagine um, the pastor of that church, the angel of, of Sparta, standing at the pulpit. You know, they just finally got the letter from John. Everybody's excited. Um, and the pastor's standing up, and they're like, oh, we're, we're in the book. You know, we made it. He's, God's talking to us. And so everyone's holding their breath, listening to what God's saying. And he says, I, I know that you've been working for the kingdom. I know you've done great things. I know that you've uh, struggled, and there's tribulation. And uh, in verse 9, and I, I know that, that you're in poverty, uh, but thou art rich. He's saying that I know that uh, you don't have money, um, but you're rich in glory. You're rich in truth. And, and the, the wealth that you have in the knowledge of Jesus and the wealth that you have in the gospel is, is far more wealth than the wealthiest man outside of the church. So really, you are rich. Um, and he continues in verse 9, And I know the blasphemy of them um, that say they are Jews and they're not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, uh, Fear none of those things what thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have uh, tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Verse 11, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord, what the Spirit said unto the churches, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And that's the end of their letter uh, to that church. I can imagine Maybe I'm just carnal, but I can imagine the pastor giving that, and there's just crickets in the room. It's about like this right here. It's just quiet, and they're like, that's it. <laughs> that's what God had to tell us, that he sees that we've been doing great for the kingdom. He knows we're poor. He knows we're struggling, but it's going to get worse. <laughs> there's tribulation coming. We're going to be put in prison, and it's going to get harder, and some of us are going to die for the sake of the kingdom. The end, not the end. He says, he says in, in verse uh, 10, but be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And verse 11, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So uh, they're like, wow, that's, that's really good. We knew that there was a heaven, so I'm glad there's still a heaven. Um, but that's it. You know, you're not sending any money on the way. I can imagine the pastor like flipping to the back of the letter, like making sure there's nothing else. You know, you're not, you're not going to deliver us of the, of the, you know, 
We're just going to struggle. All right. <laughs> I can see that being a disappointment. But there was a revelation that God was trying to give uh, the church that uh, there's going to be affliction as long as you stay in the church. And as long as you uh, be a part of, of what I'm doing and, and, and continue to serve my kingdom, there's going to be affliction. But yet if you can endure, you, you, you shall not be hurt of the second death. Paul picked up on this earlier and he said that, um, he said that, that I, I endure these light afflictions uh, for a far more weightier glory. He's, he said the, the, the weight of, of the reward of heaven. The weight of the glory of God that we're pressing into, that we're hungering for, to see the kingdom of God, to see God do, uh, fulfill His promise that we get to spend heaven with Him. That's so far of a weightier responsibility or a weightier reward than this tribulations of the world. So if we think it's heavy that, that the world hates us, we, we think it's heavy to live for God and it gets hard at times, and it is true that it gets hard, can we fathom the weight of God's glory that would rest on us in heaven? That's what John's telling the church, that there's, there's something so much better about heaven. It doesn't matter how bad it gets in earth, that even if you die for the sake of the gospel, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's all by himself. They, it didn't say they gave him any food or water. He's, he's sitting on an island by himself in one of the most miserable places on the planet, writing to the church by revelation of God, saying that it'll get bad, but it's so worth it. It's so worth the glory of God that we will experience in heaven so just endure the affliction until the end so i want to go to second timothy verse number 1 i mean chapter number 1 verse 8 they're talking about enduring affliction that is inevitable chapter 1 verse 8 says be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our lord nor of me his prisoner <clears throat> but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel According to the power of God. He's telling Timothy and Paul again is, this is Paul, that was John. This is Paul writing from prison. Paul's been imprisoned for preaching the gospel and for living for God. And he's writing to Timothy saying, don't be ashamed of the afflictions that are coming. Um, uh, afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul saying that I'm in prison. I'm awaiting my death sentence that I know is going to come. I'm telling you, Timothy, don't lose the faith. Endure, because I'm sitting in prison. I can testify that it's worth it. My death date is on its way, but I can tell you that it's still worth it to live in the kingdom of God. To still preach the gospel no matter how hot it gets, no matter how rough it gets, it's still worth it. It's still the best thing going, no matter how hard it gets. For I know who I have believed, verse 12, that word believed means trusted. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. That word means uh, deposited or entrusted, like we would make a deposit to a bank. He says, I, I have uh, 
deposited something to God, and I know that he's able to keep that against that day. He's talking about the day of judgment, at the end of time. He's able to keep that deposit until the end. So what could we possibly um, deposit to God? He doesn't need our money. He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. All the silver and gold is his. So uh, he doesn't need our time. He doesn't operate by time. So he committed his life. That's the only thing that we could offer God is, is ourself. He said, I've committed myself to him. And I know because I've, I've known him. Because I know who I have trusted. I know the kind of manner of God that we serve that he can keep my life. Even though I've given up all of my dreams. I'm here in prison when I could have been a, when I could have been a Pharisee. I could have been one of the most spiritual per- people on uh, in Israel's eyes but I've given up all of that and given my life and I've surrendered it all and I've submitted myself to him and here I am in prison but I know because of who he is that he can keep me until the end so he's saying Timothy he can keep you so how does he keep you I can imagine Timothy asking the question from verse 12 what so where do I go from here verse 13 hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth into us. That word committed also means deposited. So he said, when I deposited my life to God, he deposited his word to me. And he said, verse 13, the way that you will endure is that you hold fast to the word of God. Compromise is not the answer. Getting rid of the gospel, getting rid of, of, of our truth, uh, doing away with the word of God, it's not the way to lighten the load. But if you'll hold fast to sound doctrine, if you'll hold fast to the sound words that I've given you, if you'll keep pressing towards the mark and stay in the word of God, God will deposit his word into you. And John 1 says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so if God's depositing his word, he's actually giving us himself. Because he is the word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we're getting the truth when we submit ourselves to him. When I give all of myself over to him, his word is in return invested in me. So the only way that I can give myself is I've got to submit all that I am to him. I've got to submit this life. I've got to submit this throne that's in my heart. And I've got to decide that Jesus sits on that throne. Right? He's the one that reigns over me, that I, I can't live after the flesh. I can't do it my way, but if I'll do it all God's way, if I'll do everything I can to please God with all that I have, and I'm in submission to his word, that word will keep me. Submission is the only way that, that the word of God can take effect. We look at the Roman centurion when he goes to Jesus. He says, uh, you don't have to come, just speak the word because I'm a man that's under authority. And because I'm under authority, I can speak to those hundred centurions and uh, those hundred soldiers and they will obey. One man is no match for a hundred people. But he says, because I'm submitted to Caesar in the Roman government, if they would disobey me, they've got to disobey the entire Roman government. So they don't mess with me and I've got authority over them because I'm submitted. To greater authority. So the only way that we can have the authority of the word do anything in our heart is that we've got to be submitted to the authority of the word. That means when the word of God goes forth and it hurts, right? It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. It's unconventional. It's not the way I've always done it. If I'll submit to that and I'll obey that word and allow it to have effect, that authority can then flow through me. And that's how I will endure. That's how I can make it to the end. Because I'm not just holding on to a lecture. 
I'm not just holding on to good preaching, but I'm holding on to the living word of God. And if I submit to that living word, it, that sharp two-edged sword that's able to pierce and divide the soul and spirit, the joint and marrow, I will allow that sword to cut away the things in me that don't please God. And I can be, become more like him because it is him that his word would be invested in me. It would begin to change me and alter my mentality and the way that I approach God and the way that I think about situations. All of that would change if I would allow the word of God to have effect in me. I wouldn't see the affliction the same way if the word of God would turn my eyes, would help me to understand who he is. The word of God can keep us. Not a good message, not a building, not even a man, but the living word. If we would submit and allow its purpose in us, it'll change us. You know, if, if any of us in here... I'm sorry. If any of us in here, you've, you've, you've felt the call to preach or um, you have preached. Uh, that's been a thought. you just standing in front of people, you know, talking or teaching. Uh, you, you've most likely had the thought that one day I'm going to preach the greatest message ever known to man. It's probably even going to be my title. The greatest thing you've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. If there's three of us in here. Um, but that message has already been preached, actually. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be, and there was. Ain't none of us can do that. God said, let there be light, and there was. He said, let there be uh, a separation between the firmaments, and there was. Basically, God spoke, and creation responded. The second day, God spoke again, and creation responded. The third day, he spoke. The fourth day, the fifth day, he spoke, and creation always responded because it was created by his word which is all-powerful, carries all of his authority and dominion, and so it had to respond. But on the sixth day after he had farmed the animals, he, he reached down without speaking, and, and, and out of the dust of the earth he created man in his own image, and then he breathed life into him. And because it was not created by his word, it had a choice of whether or not it was going to respond. That man had a choice of whether or not he was going to obey the will of God or not. And so uh, he gives him the word. He gives him instruction that says, don't eat of the fruit. That's the only instruction. He said, uh, keep the garden, which means more than, he, he wasn't just supposed to trim the bushes. He was, uh, had authority over the garden. He controlled what came in and went, went out. He, he named all of the animals. He had dominion in the garden of Eden. And so uh, God says, keep the garden and don't eat of the fruit. And, and Adam says, okay, that's good. So God gives him a family. He has Eve. And then we find Eve standing at the, at the tree with the serpent by herself. There's no Adam. And serpent says, you know, why don't you eat of the fruit? And, and Eve says, no, I can't touch the fruit or I'll die. And right there, the enemy realizes the deceiver, the adversary understands that Eve doesn't have a revelation of the word. Because Eve, because God told don't eat of the fruit. And, and Eve is thinking that if I touch that fruit, the breath's going to leave my lungs and I'll, I'll die. So because the enemy realizes that his family didn't have a revelation of the truth, he goes into his deception and says, hath God said. And, of course, we know that the, uh, Eve reaches up, touches the fruit, she doesn't die. She eats the fruit, she doesn't die. Because God had given Adam the, the, the word and says that if you eat of the fruit, you'll die. Adam sees Eve coming down the way with the fruit in her hand, a bite taken out of it, and she's not dead. And so he takes a bite. Their eyes are open. Now they're in sin, cast out of the garden. But had Adam, when the word of God went forth had a reverence and a godly fear within him, a trembling within his spirit, a desperation within him to please God, 
to know the will of God, to serve God with everything in his being. I believe that when God said, don't eat of the fruit, Adam would have been like, can I go cut the tree down? (laughs) Can I go burn it? Can I put up a fence? Can I dig up a moat and put a shark in it that way nobody can get near the tree? Uh, Can I draw a line? What can I do to keep my family away from the tree? And if God said, you can't do any of that, then he would have ran to his family and said, babe, listen, don't, don't ever eat of that fruit. Don't ever eat uh, of that fruit because if you do, we'll die. And I believe that if, if, if Adam would have had spiritual hunger, and as Revelation said, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying, because it was more than just a word. There was a rhema word going forth that Adam had to catch in the spirit. And had Adam had spiritual perception and hunger, I believe that he would have understood that you weren't going to physically die. But that spirit man within you was going to die. And now you were going to be in sin and cast out of the presence of God. So had Adam been hungering for the things of God, he would have received that revelation. He would have went to Eve and said, Eve, you can touch that fruit and you can take a bite and you'll still be living. But baby, don't eat it. Because if you do... The spirit man's going to die or we're going to be cast from the presence. Whatever you do, don't eat it. I'll go get all the food you need. I'll bring it home. You don't ever have to go near that tree. I'm going to draw a line and you don't have to go anywhere close to it. I'm going to give you all the food you need. Just don't eat of the fruit. Had there been something in Adam that was hungry for the things of God, I believe he would have responded differently. And with all of his dominion and authority that he had in the garden, the moment he saw that serpent in the garden, he should have cast him out. There was no reason for the enemy to be in his home. He should have never allowed the enemy into his home. It should have never got anywhere near his wife, especially when he wasn't around. There's no way he should allow that serpent anywhere near his babies without him being there. That serpent had no authority. It had no dominion in the garden. It should have been long gone. But because Adam didn't respond to the word, because there was something missing in Adam's spirit, when that word of God went forth, it was just another word. It was just another pulpit. It was just another church. That was just another man. That was just another lecture. And because it didn't take effect in his heart, because there was no submission in that verbal affirmation that said, my God, I've got to do something to save my family. It costs humanity everything. And now from that moment on, God is continually trying to get back what he lost in the garden. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which I have lost. That what he lost was his relationship with, you, with his humanity. The whole purpose of the Old Testament, the whole purpose of the law and the, and the cross was to get us back into relationship with God, to do away with the sin that the blood could be applied and we could have relationship with him. But I firmly believe all of that could have been avoided had there been something crying within Adam saying, I want to please God. There's no way I can leave this, this moment without receiving what it is that God's trying to speak to me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them because not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Paul is talking about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. The moment that they crossed over the Red Sea, uh, they had opportunity There was word that went forth that says this is the way it's going to be. I know it's unconventional. This is not the way you did it in Egypt. This ain't the food that you ate in Egypt. This ain't the temperature you've eaten in Egypt. It's not the way you've always done it, but this is the word of God. 
and, and continually over and over, Israel disobeyed and they, they wouldn't listen. And so God sent judgment and there was uh, plagues. There was fire that rained from heaven. Uh, Kor rose up in his rebellion against God's authority and God opened up the, the, the earth and it swallowed people. And over and over again, there was uh, buffeting from God saying, this is my word, obey it. And they didn't. They just, they just uh, washed it off and, and brushed it off. And the wilderness experience was far harder than what it could have been. Had they just said, yes, okay, that's good. I don't, I don't understand that, but yes, I believe that. That's fine. They get to Kadesh Barnea, literally the threshold of their promised land. They're looking at the promised land. And God says, you can move it. Go ahead and take the land. They send out spies and they say, we can't do it. There's, there's, there's giants. We can't make it. We're not big enough. God, your word, it's not right. We can't do it. And Hebrews, he's talking about because they did not, uh, the word preached unto them did not profit them. Speaking of Israel be, being not mixed with faith in them that heard it. And pastors preached this a few times, talking about echoing back when the word of God goes forth. What that is, is there's an affirmation in our heart that says, I believe you. Even though it looks impossible, even though that sounds crazy, I believe that word of God. I believe that you can do that. I believe that promise is for me. Yes, amen, that's true. There's something out of the heart that says I believe that. And the Bible says that out of the mouth the heart speaketh. So it is scripturally impossible for me to affirm anything with my heart without opening my mouth. According to the word of God, my heart can't speak. My, my heart can't affirm the word. It can't mix faith without the mouth. Without me opening and verbally saying, yes, I believe that. Yes, that's true. Be it unto me. That word mixed, it's, it's, the definition is kind of like a word picture. And it means uh, as food mixes with saliva. And when you take a bite, you can, you can chew up food with your teeth. And it would be broken into different pieces, but it's still a piece of meat. But the moment that saliva mixes with food, there's a chemical breakdown. That the, the food's not the same anymore. That it's no longer the same as when it went in. And it's, it's chemically different. And then you swallow it and the stomach continues. And, and, but, but the moment that saliva mixes, there's nutrients that are taken from the food. And, and when you ingest the word of God, which is the bread of life, uh, that the, the word is consumed in our body and we receive truth from it. We receive help from it. We're talking about enduring affliction. We receive the help that we need and the strength that we receive once we consume the word of God and say, yes, I believe that. Yes, that's true. Out of our mouth, we say, yes, that's, that's for me. And I believe that you can do that. And when we do, the word of God begins to take effect in our life. That's when the truth can prevail in our heart and begin to change the way I think and the way I act and respond to the presence of God. Echoing back or, or saying amen or, 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 or saying, yes, God, I believe that. That's not for the preacher. It's not to make the preacher feel good. Um, it, it's, it's between us and God. It's me saying, God, I believe your word. Your word is true. Uh, we don't believe in preacher worship. We don't believe that, that, that he is a, a deity or that he's, he's some elusive per The man of God, the fivefold ministry, he's another man. Okay? Uh, the, the Bible says, give to whom honor is, uh, is due and tribute to whom tribute is due. But uh, he is just a man, just worthy of our honor because the Bible says that Christ ascended, and he gave gifts unto men, and to some he gave prophets, some apostles, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. So when Christ ascended, he gave the church gifts, which was the fivefold ministry. 
The Bible says that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. We don't have a, 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 a dual nature. We don't have two Godheads. Uh, it's not Christ and God or, or God and Jehovah Junior. That's not what we're talking about. Christ ascended. Right? We can't sit at the table with Christ. Christ doesn't stand in our pulpit. But when Christ ascended, the Bible says that he gave gifts unto men, which was the fivefold ministry. So when the fivefold ministry speaks, that's the voice of God speaking to the body. Because the head of every man is Christ. So when the fivefold ministry declares, this is what the word of God is, or this is what thus saith the Lord, that's God speaking to us. And so when we say, amen, I believe that, I'm not talking to the man of God. I'm talking to God. I'm responding to my head. I'm responding to Christ, speaking the word of God to me. And my faith within me is mixing with that word and allowing that word to take effect in me. That I can be changed by his presence. That I can be changed by his word. So the fivefold ministry is God's voice in our life. Verse 14 uh, in 2 Timothy. It says, keep by the Holy Ghost. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. That means that I, I can't uh, attain the things of God. I can't obey the word of God in the flesh. No matter how good of a person I am, how determined I am, how much grit there is in me, I can't fulfill the things of God unless there be a Holy Ghost in me driving. Right? There has to be a voice in me that says, I've got to please God. I want to obey the word of God. There's something in me that drives me because I can't do it. No matter how good of a person I am, I'll fail. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Musicians, you can come. Galatians 3. Uh, o foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently set forth crucified among you? This only what I learn of you received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? So we're talking about enduring affliction. Enduring until the end. So he says that you're, th these Jews that he's talking to, they were trying to go revert back to the law. They had already been a part of the church. They've received the Holy Ghost and now they're trying to go back to the law. But he says... Are you made perfect in the flesh, having begun in the spirit? All of this began with a spiritual experience. That you came to God and you spoke in tongues and, and God filled you with the Holy Ghost. And now you're trying to finish in the flesh. You're trying to do things on your own accord or with your own hands. You can't be perfected by the flesh. The law was uh, because, again, Adam sinned. It was just flesh and soul. And so the man had to look at the law, the, the Ten Commandments and the law that God had given Israel and just obey just out of their grit, just out of their uh, fear of God's judgment. They just obeyed the Word of God. And they failed over and over and over and over again because there was no Holy Ghost. There was no spirit within them driving them, pressing them to obey the Word of God. And so he says, how could you be made perfect in the flesh having begun in the spirit, because now, in verse 14 of 2 Timothy, it says, the only way that you can keep this word is in the Holy Ghost. The only way that I can continue to live for God is that I stay in the Spirit. No matter how good of a person I am, no matter how much I try or want to please God, there's got to be a spiritual experience with me and God every day. 
Now, Stephen, if he was full of the Holy Ghost, I've got to be full of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to be half full. I don't want to be on my way out or empty. But I want to be something in me, welling up in me. Jeremiah said that when I, when I shut my mouth because of the affliction, when I tried to reserve the word of God, it was like fire that was shut up in my bones. There was something in me that burned for the things of God. There was something in me that was pressing towards the mark. There was something that forced me to open my mouth and agree with his word. There was something in me that drew me to his presence again that I couldn't help but respond to his word but respond to his truth because there was a fire in me that longed for it so if you'd stand with me today the presence of God is here the word of God is here and again, it, it's not about me. It's not about some, any, any preacher. What we respond to in the house of God, what we respond to when His presence fills the building is Him. It's His glory. It's His kingdom. What we're trying to do is have His throne of righteousness established in this place. And so it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about how good we are. It's about our spirit connected with the things of God. And when God gives me direction, I want to respond that it doesn't cost my family, that I can endure until the end because there's got to be a spiritual work in me because I know that I'm going to fail. I know that I'm going to fall short. I know that I'm not going to complete it the way God wants me to be because I'm not perfect. And every day I fail, so something in me cries that, God, I believe your word. God, I believe your truth. And I want to fulfill what your desire is today. If that's you in this place, could we come? As a family, come to the altar. And as they begin to sing, why don't we just open our hearts and allow the authority of God's word to speak to us, to change us, that we do not have to leave the same way that we came today. And we don't have to leave this just being another lecture, this just being another building, because this is the presence of the Almighty. This is the living Word of God that has all of His authority, all of His power, all of His might. And if I'll just lift my voice, lift my heart unto Him, there's a spiritual work that will occur, that that bread of life will begin to bring life to me. That when I go home and that affliction is there, when that struggle is there, I can endure and have strength because of His Word. What you've called because of what me God can do right be. here in His presence, there's something in me that will I'll endure until the end. Yeah.